0: Good morning and welcome here. I invite you to stand as we reflect on how we are called here by God from however our life is going and from wherever we've been. Let's sing together.
1: Here to MacIver Church, we're glad you have come as you are here this morning to be gathered as a community together before our Lord Jesus Christ to worship and learn more together. This morning we're continuing in our series, How to Read the Bible, and we're joined by guest Gerald Gerbrandt, who's a professor at CMU here in the city. And he's going to help us to continue looking at the Bible and to see the full breadth of this story of God and especially how we are invited to live as characters within it. This is a powerful thing for us to understand and to see the Bible in this way as an invitation for us to live as characters in the story of God. This is what we're doing here this morning as we come and are reminded of who we are. For example, in Ephesians 2, it says that we are those, as we come as we are, we are reminded of who we truly are. We have been made alive in Christ. We have been made one in Christ and we have peace In Christ. And so this morning, let's practice that. Let's express that identity as we move towards one another and pass the peace of Christ. Let's do that now. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm chapter 100. And the psalmist writes these words, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Go into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. So let's pray in this way. Lord, this morning we are in awe of You. And this awe cannot be contained, but it needs to be expressed through our lives. It needs to be lived out and animate our bodies. It needs to string our vocal cords into praise. And so would we burst forth with praise for you, our holy God, and call into this praise all the earth in this grand chorus that you are due. All of this is worship that you are due, Lord. This morning, God, would that joy just rise up in our lives, of the joy of knowing you, being called by you, of having this identity in you, Lord, would you continue to speak into our hearts this morning and affirm that identity cultivated deep in our lives, Lord, as individuals, as a community, as a people of God called out in your world. Lord, we continue to worship you here this morning with everything we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's do that now. We'll join our voices to continue singing in worship. Any kids who are here this morning, if you'd like to help lead us in that, we have instruments up here at the front, some shakers and flags. You can help lead us, the rest of us. Let's stand together and continue to worship.
2: Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Communion, three in one. Holy Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Communion, three in one. Come with your peace, with your invitation. Us together in holy love. Come with your peace, with your invitation. Bind us together in holy love. Thank you. You
1: Team for leading us, and for the whole congregation joining our voices in this powerful and beautiful way. Early years kids, if uh, you haven't already, you're free to head off to supervised playtime and enjoy your your time there. Uh, and I'll also just mention, uh, first off, uh, our speaker this morning, Gerald Durbrandt. Uh, later on in the service, we'll have opportunity to interact with him through our Q and R phone. So as we think about this topic here this morning, I'm sure there'll be many questions, especially just anything to do with how we read the Bible. And you can interact by texting in a question to that number. You can find that on the back of your bulletin. And again, this will lead into a discussion during the exchange following the service this morning. So if you open your bulletin, you'll find a number of announcements, different things going on in and through our church that we want to be aware of and look to participate in. Uh, To get us started, I'll invite up Rodney Badgley for our first announcement.
3: Morning, everybody. Oh, that sounded so great. How many of you been to a men's breakfast? Awesome. We have one coming up this next Saturday, so I'm looking forward to having you all there. We have a couple of young gentlemen that are going to be uh, giving an update from their summer experiences, so I'm I'm also looking forward to that. But I'm not wearing this because of that, because we're going to be indoors next weekend, but in three weeks' time after that, we are going to be outdoors for a little bit at the men's retreat. How many of you over the history of MacIver have been to a men's retreat? That's a great showing. So I can count on all of you signing up right after the service so that we have a good number on who's participating this year. We are at a new location. Just to give you an idea, we're at Rosa River Bible Camp, which is actually south of the city now, by only an hour. It's not a two-hour drive like it was to Red Rock. We have car ride share available if you want to sign up and you don't have a vehicle or a means to get there, you can talk to myself or to Ed Giesbrecht, who is my partner in crime behind the videographer stuff there. So you can speak to either of us. The sign-up is out in the foyer. You can sign up there. We would appreciate if we could have people signing up within the next couple Sundays just so that we can give a camp an idea of how many participants. And you'll probably hear more from me and Ed as we tap you on the shoulders. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Rodney and Ed. Uh, we continue to just be really grateful for the, the ministries of community we have here with our men's ministry, women's ministry, and the point of connection it offers. Another similar point of connection is this this community we've been calling Finders Feast. And I hope we're seeing that this is actually coming up pretty soon on the calendar. In just three weeks, it starts again in February. Every Wednesday in February and March, we have Finders' Feast, which is this potluck, and then breakout groups after that. And it's been this great success for helping our church develop deeper community, but also make our community accessible out in our neighborhood. So our neighbors are connecting through this event. There are many ways you can be involved whether on a setup team, as a greeter, a barista, or a kids or youth leader. If you're interested in serving in any of these ways, you can sign up today in the foyer. And it's very simple stuff. It's very easy stuff, stuff that all of us can do. Or you could come speak with one of the pastors to express your interest. And there's also upcoming training events specifically for anyone interested in serving with kids or youth at Founder's Feast. One of the options at Finder's Feast is a group called Wind Farm. Hopefully you've seen that invitation in your mailboxes. Uh, You get a picture up here. Uh, This will be led by Paul and Arlene Craker. Anyone remember Paul? He was the guy with the backwards bike. Okay, now we remember Paul. So this is going to be a powerful experience for you to grow as a follower of Jesus and a great course to bring others to as well. Registration info is in your bulletin, and again, this starts in three weeks. There's also information about an event called SOAR X. We've heard about SOAR before, and we've supported that for years as a church, but this is a new thing called SOAR X, and it's kind of like a mini-SOAR. It's like two and a half days. So I would imagine that there are a lot of parents and grandparents who over the years have supported and sent youth to go on mission experiences, especially SOAR, and maybe quietly throughout that you were like, man, I wish this was around when I was a young person so that I could have gone. Well, this is an event for all ages to participate in. And we are hoping to send a team from McIver that would be comprised of young kids all the way up to not-so-young people. And together, to take in this mission experience here in our city. And so if you're interested in this, you can find registration info in your bulletin. Come speak with one of the pastors. Uh, That's going to be on spring break, March 26th. We also want to draw your attention to our roof repair project. Have we seen that thermometer going up in the foyer? That's been encouraging. But one thing to note Is we're almost there. And so there's probably some of you who are like, oh yeah, I wanted to be a part of that. Because it's going to happen soon that that roof is going to be in place and we won't have this fundraiser anymore. And it will be too late. It will be too late to participate in that. And you'll be saying, hey, I, I wanted to be, say, I was a part of raising the roof. Well, act now. Act today and be a part of this awesome project. There's still time. And so as we keep in mind all of these different announcements of things going on in the the programs, the activities of our church, we also want to pay attention to the people, the community of our church, and what's going on in our lives. Uh, We recognize our grief in this past week with the loss of Peter Willems. We express our condolences especially to his wife Betty and to the rest of the family. Uh, The funeral will be taking place here today at 2 o'clock and so that's open for anyone who would like to to come back to church, uh, be a part of that, uh, that service. As we move into a time of prayer, let's remind ourselves of the story that we have been invited into, especially as we've had varied experiences throughout our past week, in our own lives, uh, in, our, in our world. Uh, we need to remind ourselves of who God is, who we are, and the story that we live in. And so there's some words that are going to appear on the screen, and it's something we can give voice to together this morning. Uh, Your part will appear in bold font, but let's say and reflect on these words. We are the church that lives into God's future today. A church united across space and time. A church of many races, languages, and ethnicities a church that lives by the work of God in Christ that was, is now and is still to come. The one who is seated on the throne says to us, see I am making all things new. A new heaven and a new earth where the home of God is among God's people. God's future is epic and it's good news. Remember God's future for this is our story. So as we move into a time of prayer now, as we lift up our hearts this morning, this will be structured by the Lord's Prayer. When you hear me pray, Our Father in Heaven, this is a cue where you can respond with the next line of the Lord's Prayer. So let's practice the first line. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how our prayer will proceed. Jesus, we are amazed by the kingdom that you proclaimed and the identity you have given us as citizens of your kingdom. We lift up our hearts to you now and join in your prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, would we always be in awe of you? We can so often get distracted and self-centered But God, would we turn our attention back to you and see the holiness, the magnificence of who you are? Would that fill our lives, this awe and worship of you? We are especially amazed at the gift of relationship to know you, this transcendent God who has stepped in and entered our lives. That you, the holy God of all creation, have invited us into intimate relationship with Yourself. So we continue to pray, Our Father in heaven, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us kingdom eyes to see in new ways. Kingdom imagination to dream beyond destruction's determination. Even in the events of this past week that have gripped us, There's deep pain, disorienting loss, and despairing news that challenges our hope. Even in the midst of this, of all of this reality, would you strengthen us, Lord? Not in the way of the world's strength, but of yours. Making us meek, where we would surrender our own agendas to be yoked to you. And to your direction for our lives. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you are the true provider, you are the source of all life. Remind us of all the blessings that you give to us every day. Especially, remind us of the little things that we so often take for granted. Would you teach us a countercultural way? of being content, content with enough and satisfied by your supply. More and more would you make us a prayerful people who trust you, lifting up the needs of our world and waiting on your provision. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Right at the heart of this citizenship in your kingdom is the experience of forgiveness, of being made entirely new people. So, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And not just a little, but a lot. We are in desperate need of your mercy and your grace, Lord. We need your mercy to share with those around us as well. And so, would you Would your mercy dig deep wells in our lives that could also bring life to others? Would you increasingly embolden us in your way of peace? Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Even while we receive your forgiveness, we know that we are still a fragile people prone to wander and to pursue our own way. But we want to follow your way rather than get in your way. So Jesus, would you yoke us to yourself? Would we trust in you as our good shepherd to receive rest for our souls and be led in the way of life everlasting? Jesus, the one who has shown us the Father, in all of these things, would you continue to show us how yours truly is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we continue in this space of prayer, of relationship with God, of bringing our worship to Him this morning, as we consider our financial offering, we often like to pull out our phones and our wallets. We maybe don't like it, but it's a good reminder of the gifts that God has placed in our lives. And I always call us to steward those gifts. And so we remind ourselves, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Would He receive and bless this morning's offering?
0: Let us reflect on Jesus' words this morning as the offering is taken. So I invite you just to meditate on the song that is to follow. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted.
4: Going to share about what scripture means to me. I love the Bible. I love having it on my night table, ready to read every night before bed. I love to imagine myself getting up early and sitting with a cup of coffee, reading my Bible as the sun rises in winter or as the birds start singing in summer. These are such lovely, ideal images in my mind. But I have to confess that my reality doesn't often match my ideal. Much as I would like to be that amazing person who reads my Bible every day, I am more sporadic in my reading. Sometimes I don't open it for a while. Sometimes I slap it open desperately to meet a great need. And sometimes I do read the Bible regularly, and then I find it to be rich in so many ways. The scriptures reveal the character of God, God's beauty and glory, God's love for all people, God's holiness. They challenge me to live differently than I might otherwise choose, to store up my treasures in heaven instead of working to accomplish or accumulate, to forgive when I don't think the other person deserves it. The scriptures comfort me and encourage me that I am precious regardless of how I feel about myself, that I am loved regardless of what others have said or done, and that God will care for me regardless of the circumstances. Sometimes the Bible helps me sleep. It might be because I read something that answers the fear or the anger that is keeping me awake. Or it might be because I choose to read one of Paul's letters in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, and the tiny print and those impossibly long sentences are just too much for my eyes. Sometimes scripture is a lifeline for me. When I am desperately hurt or terrified or ashamed God has a way of revealing something in the Bible that speaks so directly to my heart that I feel as if God is in the room with me. Those are holy moments, significant milestones, and those are the verses that stay with me. I'd like to share one of those milestones from this last summer. A bit of explanation first, one of the ways I motivate myself to read the Bible is to join a Bible study take a theology course, write a play for church, or accept a writing job that requires me to dig into the scriptures. Nothing motivates me like a deadline. So when Denver asked me last spring if I would be willing to preach in summer, I said yes. I'm sure I'm not the first person to feel this way, but as my preaching Sunday came closer, I felt less and less that God was leading me as I prepared, and more and more that I had nothing of value to say. I've heard it said that guilt is the great Mennonite virtue. I don't know if that's true or not, but I personally have been known to excel at guilt. Finally, my Sunday arrived. There were only a few minutes to go before I had to leave for church when I realized I hadn't even read my Bible that morning. What kind of a Christian was I? What kind of a hypocrite to think I could preach and then not even be bothered to get up early enough to have devotions? God has shown me so many times that exactly who I am is exactly what God loves about me. But somehow in my nervousness that morning, I was quick to believe that once again, I wasn't good enough. I quickly found my Bible so I could throw it open and read something, anything, so I wouldn't arrive at church like a hypocrite. As I whipped open the Bible, I thought, here it comes. God is going to crush me with a big sum of accusation. I truly expected the worst as I let my eyes find a place on the open page. With fear and trembling, I read from 1 John chapter three, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And with those beautiful words, the presence of God filled the space around me and all my gut wrenching insecurity disappeared. When I am at my best, Scripture is rich and full of wisdom. And when I am at my worst, it is alive with God's grace to me.
5: Thank you, Ingrid. All right, so this morning's scripture reading is comprised of many passages that together form touch, paint, touch points in the story of the Bible. You can find the references for these uh, in this morning's bulletin insert. The title is God's Love Affair with the World, Scripture Readings, and all the references are on there. I will not be reading those references. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I now teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently For this will show you your wisdom and discernment to the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. I, too, decided, after investigating everything carefully, for from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, So that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. The word of the Lord.
6: Good morning. It's good to be at MacIver Church this morning. I came to appreciate MacIver during my years at CMU. And in the past few years, as we run the program Explore, For 55-plus, I have come to uh, meet a number of others from a kiver who attended those classes. And should there be someone who's 55 in the congregation this morning, you'd be welcome uh, to uh, check out the Explore program, which again starts in early March. I confess, I'm a football nut. And these days, I'm following the NFL playoffs very closely. Now, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but some of you may remember some years ago when you watched a football game on television, and especially when uh, perhaps someone was trying to kick a field goal or a convert after a touchdown, when the camera would look right down the field through the goalposts, someone in the end zone would hold up a large sign that said, John 3.16, you remember? Well, I'm not sure that's the way of witnessing I feel most comfortable with. Apparently, someone by the name of Roland Stewart introduced that way of promoting the gospel. But I don't think he could have chosen a better verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's the center of the story of Jesus, but I also believe it's the center of the story of the whole Bible. The Bible is the story of God's love for the world, how God expresses that love, and how people respond to that love, and how we might respond to it. This morning, I want to think with you a little bit about the Bible, and try to suggest what is clearly a big-picture approach to it. I'm not going to focus on individual verses, but rather suggest a way of looking at the Bible as a whole. I begin with four observations about the Bible. First of all, and I've already hinted at this, the Bible is a story. The Bible is a story. Scholars sometimes draw attention to the fact that that in the Bible we have different kinds of literature, different genres, if you want to get technical, they call it. And they're right. But I think that sometimes leads us astray from recognizing that the Bible is really a story. The whole Bible is a story. And so, yes, there are psalms, which are a little different, and there's letters, and there's poetry, and there's narrative, and all those kinds of things. But really, all of that, I suggest... Needs to be understood not separately, but as part of that story in the Bible. And secondly, it's my conviction that it's one story. When we have little children, we teach them Bible stories, and that's good. But at some point, they and we need to connect the dots. It's one story from the beginning to the end, with everything fitting into that one story. Sometimes we imagine the Bible as as consisting of hundreds of little passages, six verses, twelve verses, you name it, each of which is God's Word for you today. I don't want to put that away completely, but I'd rather argue each passage must be understood as part of that big story. I remember a course I took in seminary where each class we took one passage and asked, what was the original author trying to say? What did that passage mean? And what is God speaking to us about through that one passage? Again, I don't want to put that aside completely, but I'd rather emphasize that we begin with the large picture, with the one story, and recognize that it all fits in. And if one does that way, I think perhaps better questions are, how does this individual passage, whether a psalm or from a letter, how does that help us better understand that whole story? What nuance does it give to the whole story? Does it raise a question about the way we have commonly understood that story? So there's a sense in which our movement is always to that one story. Third, although one story, the story of the Bible is not told in a single voice, but rather includes dialogue, perhaps even debate. The opening verses of the Gospel of Luke are interesting. Since many others have told the story of Jesus, I also will write an account of the story of Jesus. But why? Why did Luke feel the need to tell his own version of the story of Jesus? I can't help but think it was because for some reason he felt the previous accounts weren't quite good enough for him or didn't quite emphasize what he wanted to emphasize, or perhaps didn't quite communicate to the particular audience that Luke was speaking to. And so Luke wrote his own version. As we know, even eyewitnesses to an event tend to see things a little differently. Similar differences, or one can even say tensions, are there in other parts of the Bible. Deuteronomy has a very, very different view of things than the book of Job. Romans emphasizes things differently from the book of James. Chronicles understands the history of Israel quite differently from Kings, and so on. The Bible doesn't give us an absolutely consistent or identical picture of things. I don't think these are contradictions. I don't see that. But rather, they bring to our mind that different times and locations in life lead to different ways of understanding and different ways of being faithful. Some people have suggested we might compare the Bible to a library where each book is a separate book in a library and we shouldn't expect them all to be the same. Well, in some ways, that comparison may hold of I'm not quite satisfied with it because I think it underestimates the significance of the unity of the one story. I continue to push. It's one story within which there are differences and debates about what it means to be faithful. This may be a little unsettling to us. I, probably like you, uh, would prefer it if the Bible told everything from the same perspective, the right perspective, of course. But then the Bible probably wouldn't speak as it can to all kinds of people and all kinds of places. I think the miracle of the Bible is that here it reflects stories of long ago written by many different people, all of which still communicate today in Winnipeg, in Africa, and you name it. And finally, my fourth observation. The question of how we approach the Bible. What questions we bring with us when we read the Bible. As we know, we all are coming to the Bible with questions. The question is, what kind? Some look to the Bible for information. They want to know the history of Israel. They want to know the history of the early church. Or they come with the, I want to write an absolute full theology. Or, I want it to speak to my self-fulfillment. Or, you want arguments to win a debate. Well, some of those approaches aren't necessarily wrong, but I do think one can ask a bigger question about how we approach the Bible. And that's the question of, what's our role in the acts of God today? It always needs to come down to what's our role, what's our place, what are we expected to do? There's a British evangelical by the name of Tom Wright who has proposed a kind of metaphor for how we read the Bible. He says, let's imagine you're an archaeologist and you come across a drama that's been lost. And so you read it and you discover that the last act is missing. If it's a Shakespearean drama, you might have four acts. But there's five, act five that needs to be done. You now have the responsibility of performing act five in the drama, using all your imagination, using all your creativity. But you need to perform that last act in a manner consistent with the themes and the plot and the characterization of the first four acts. Now go to it. I find that a very helpful metaphor or a very helpful uh, idea to push our imagination and i 've worked with it quite a bit in thinking about the Bible in your bulletins this morning. you saw this little half page insert, and on the other side of the of the where the scripture passages are read is my attempt to try to put the Bible into a drama stimulated by the idea that Tom Wright proposed. And you'll notice the way I do it. I have the drama enclosed in a frame. The opening frame is Genesis 1-11 to with an arrow that it continues through the whole Bible, really. And the opening frame presents to us the world within which they and we are perform the drama. It gives us the foundations of the drama. Now, there's lots in Genesis 1-11, and I can't in any way go into it in detail, but I'll mention four themes. One, God is the creator and sustainer of all. We see that in Genesis 1-11, it's still there. Two, we have been created in the image of God with the responsibility to represent God in the world. Three, we mess up. Just remember the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and the flood. We humans invariably mess up. Four, God doesn't quit on us. God doesn't give up on us, but keeps working. Always working with mercy and grace towards reconciliation. And so the story of the flood ends with the rainbow in the sky. That's the world of the drama. It's the world of Israel. It's the world of Jesus Christ. It's the world of 2020. Still there. On the other end of the drama is Revelation 21-22. New heaven and a new earth. That's the end towards which the drama is moving. At the end, and we can't describe in great detail, what that will be. But in the end, God will act again to make things right. God will overcome death. God will wipe away our tears. God will live with us. So we don't need an intermediary. So the whole drama takes place in the world as described by Genesis 1-11. The whole drama takes place with the confidence driven forward That in the end, God will make things right. And then the drama has three acts in my version. Right had five. But I think three is a little more helpful. Act one, one, then, is the story of God acting in the Old Testament. God responds to human messing up by calling Abram and Sarah and making out of them a nation, a special people. God, in other words, God's way of acting in the world, in response to our messing up, is to create a people. One could say the first act of creation is the creation of the world. The second act of creation is the creation of Israel. And so, that people is called to bless all peoples. The verses in Deuteronomy say that the laws were given to you so you could live a life that is life-giving and blessed, but also that through you, other nations can see what a wise and loving God you have. But, alas, act one isn't a happy act. The truth is that despite God leading Israel out of Egypt and delivering them and giving them the promised land, despite sending prophet after prophet to remind the people they forget God. They go after other gods. They forget that God called them to live justice and to take care of the poor and the weak. They forget God. And so it leads to the loss of land and going into exile. After exile, they come back and there is a kind of restoration and even a kind of recommitment to God. But the conviction is that God isn't finished yet. That God will act again in a new way and send a Messiah to deliver us, to restore us. That's very briefly Act 1. Act 2 is then the center of the, uh, of the drama. And I have indented it the most to highlight that. It's the center, the most important part. And of course, that's the story of Jesus Christ. God acts in an absolutely unprecedented way Almost ununderstandable manner by becoming flesh, by living among us. I love John. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and glory. God, through Jesus Christ, inaugurates the kingdom, introduces a kingdom in which the poor, or in which the meek inherit the earth, in which the mercy, those who show mercy, will receive mercy. So that Jesus brings and reveals the nature and love of God in the most absolute way. But the authorities of the day don't like that. Since that messes up their control, their position. And so they execute Jesus on a cross. But again, God shows that he isn't overcome by our messing up. And God raises Jesus from the dead. To live again. That's Act 2. And then comes Act 3. The story of the church. And you'll notice I divide Act 3 into three scenes. Scene 1 in Act 3 is the story of the church in the New Testament. Like Act 1, it begins with God creating a people. God creates a people through which God desires to bless all peoples, to reconcile all peoples, to be God's representatives in working towards salvation. And so in Acts, we see this people growing. The Spirit comes upon them, and they spread out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. The story of the church in Act in Scene 1 is the story of that people in the New Testament. Now, scene two in Act Three for me isn't in the Bible itself, but it's an acknowledgement that the story continues after the New Testament over the past 2,000 years. The church has been there. The church has been used by God. Not always faithful, but always striving to be God's people. And then comes scene three. I put it in a big box. That's the important one. That's, in some ways, the most important one. Because it's the one where we act. And I call it, the improv continues. Our lines aren't written out. It might have been nice if it was to says exactly what Stephen should do, exactly what I should do, exactly what you should do. But that's not the case. It's not written out. But we have the rest of the drama. We have the rest of the story, which tells us what God wants which tells us what we are inclined to do, which invites us to join in the drama and do our part as part of that people created by God, which in First Peter speaks, First Peter speaks about language from the Old Testament, again, about a holy nation, a special people which has received mercy, but now so that we witness to that and become God's people for the world. Today, well, that's the drama, the great drama of God's love affair with the world. And there's an absolute consistency. I I talked about there being some tensions or debates, but there's an absolute consistency about the basic storyline. God loved the world. God loved the world and wants what's best for his creation. We mess up. But God created a people in the Old Testament. God sent Jesus Christ. God created a people in the New Testament, of which we are a continuous, through which God desires to bless all peoples. May we, we follow through on what we have been called to do. Amen.
0: Let us respond to that call to follow through by singing. A song. I invite you to stand as we sing.
2: you I'm going to
1: invite Gerald back up and the rest of us can grab a seat. So a few questions came in uh, to the cell phone and we want to just continue to uh, interact. And one thing Gerald mentioned was this dialogue that occurs within the story of God. And even as we are in this act today, we continue that dialogue together and we pay attention to how God is speaking through that dialogue. So here we go. We have. I thought I'd pose a couple questions to you, Gerald, and you can pick one. How does that sound?
6: This is new to me, so I'll go with the flow. Yes,
1: yeah, so you, you've got options. You have freedom here. Ah. Uh, first one, what is the importance of determining a center in the Bible? Are there other common centers that others might point to? And what shifts between these perspectives? What emphasis shifts? That's one question. Okay. Count it. And here's the, the second question that you have the choice between. Are there any practical approaches we need to emphasize today in order to train ourselves and others for this faithful improvisation? Which one do you like?
6: Well, let me get the first one. Are there other centers? I'm not going to try to, I mean, I, to me it seems there is a clear center in the Bible. And I, I somehow need a lot of persuading to suggest there are other centers than the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, it seems to me, as a Christian, the way I understand the Bible as a whole is that at the center is the Word become flesh. And that in Jesus Christ, um, God revealed Himself to us in an unprecedented and most clear manner. So, to that extent, I, I, I guess I do. I would claim that as the center given us by the Bible. If someone would want to argue or propose a different one, um, I'd be interested in hearing that uh, the reason. Having said that, the way in which understands that center, there will be differences. And uh, I mean, I'm struck that people who are in the midst of severe persecution, will probably find different parts of the Bible and different emphases and different ways of understanding Jesus somewhat differently than those of us who live here in Winnipeg in a relatively peaceful, relatively prosperous time. But I still would probably claim for one center.
1: Thank you. That's helpful. We can continue to open up...
6: Quickly the question.
1: No, that's, that's very good. Thank you. For your first time, that was an A+. Plus. <laughs> so you can grab a seat. And the rest of us, we're going to stand together. Uh, any kids and youth, you're free now to head off to uh, Kids and Youth Exchange. And let's close with these words from Ephesians chapter 3. Christ will make his home in your hearts, Now, all glory to God, who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.